Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Craig Fenton, a man of many hats. He's the Strategy and Operations Director for Google UK, Ireland and Southern Europe. He is also, also has a record label, Big Community Records. Uh, he's a YouTuber with the podcast Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Richard. Nice to be here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Now, um, I guess <laughs> what's fascinating about you as a guest is, you know, where do we start? Craig is the YouTuber. Craig is the Google executive. Craig is the, as the, as the music guy. Um, so I wonder if you could just sort of set us up before we dive into any one of those streams with a little bit of your backstory. I know you're from, from your, your New Zealand originally. You know, just, just give us a sort of potted history of, of, of you getting to where you are today. Um, yeah, it's been a, a fairly uh, interesting random walk, I would say. So I grew up in New Zealand. Um, my first career, I was a court lawyer. I was a barrister. Did that for about six years. Uh, the internet came along. That looked pretty interesting. Wanted to get into that. Didn't know how. Uh, so I thought, well, I'd go back to university, moved to the UK to do an MBA. Uh, did the MBA at London Business School. Came out, uh, joined a company called Accenture. It was Anderson Consulting at that time, which I felt would give me a um, an opportunity to work with many different businesses in different areas and industries and countries and kind of just figure it out, figure out what this sort of business thing was, what digital disruption was, and uh, had a wild time there uh, over several years in several countries, uh, always living in the UK uh, from that point onwards. And about four years ago, joined Google uh, into the role that I'm in at the moment. As you say, I've got a few side interests outside Google. I think that's really good for balance. It keeps me uh, interested and, uh, and uh, you know, I love variety. So uh, lo- lots of lots of fingers and lots of pies. Right. And OK, so let's let, let's start perhaps with the with the coffee, eggs and inspiration. Um, yeah, talk us through, yeah, the, the inspiration for setting that up. Uh... Well, for, for years, I've tried to meet two or three new people every week. Um, Richard, you're one this week, and it's um, unusual to be on the other side of the camera, so to speak. Um, but after, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm very lucky to, to meet some really interesting people and found myself sort of reflecting over my coffee and eggs, because it's usually a breakfast meeting. That this is super inspiring. I'm very lucky to. So I thought, well, why not film these, obviously, with the permission of the person and share them? And if at least one other person is also interested and inspired, then that's, then that's great. And as a leader in Google, I thought it would be a great opportunity as well to experience our platforms and the technology, um, specifically YouTube in this case from a creator's point of view uh, and learn how to use AdWords and uh, publish and edit. And I deliberately, some would say obtusely, chose to do all of the filming, editing and publishing only on my smartphone, right? Uh, my Google Pixel, of course, uh, because I, I often find myself doing keynotes in front of audiences and it really is as simple as if you've got an idea and a smartphone, you can become a creator and you can reach a global audience. And I wanted to prove that to myself and also, uh, you know, prove it to others. And uh, indeed, it's true. It's not BBC. 
uh, Blue Planet quality, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it works. Right. And what have you, have you have you found that there are any limitations you've had to ever overcome doing it just on the phone? Well, COVID's been a pretty big limitation. I, obviously, I can't do those in person other than I've done one, I think, sort of socially distanced outside. But these days I'm doing most of the interviews um, here in my home office using uh, Google Meet and recording that. Um, but in relation to the the filming on uh, the smartphone, not really. Uh, most smartphones these days have really, really good cameras. They're very high quality cameras. And the main thing to do, I find, is get a really good microphone. And I can see you've got a fantastic microphone in front of you. So well, you know what well, I'm Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the main thing. And, and to ensure sort of lighting, lighting is good. Other than that, you know, it's the technique, as you all know, underneath that of, you know, um, creating the environment in which that person that you're meeting with can tell their story and right. staying out of the way. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. And, uh, and I guess what's, what's the, the biggest aha moment or the wow moment in terms of you, you and in, in interviewing your guests over the course of, uh, the podcast? Well, the, there's been there's been many, um, and I've I've had really a, a huge variety of guests. I I deliberately choose to try and surface stories that are remarkable um, in people who aren't necessarily on the front of the Daily Mail or the or the news. Um, ordinary people doing remarkable things. In other words, I've interviewed adventurers. Um, Vicky Anstey, for example, uh, who won SAS, um, you know, the, the, the program, mm. uh, or finalist at least. Uh, Kiko Matthews, who rode solo uh, across the Atlantic, having never rode before and having just had a tumor removed from her brain, uh, about six weeks beforehand. Um, all the way through to people like Jamal Edwards, who founded SBTV and uh, and uh, discovered or at least um, distributed uh, artists like Ed Sheeran and uh, Jesse J and Rita Ora and Emily San, uh, uh, Sande and, uh, and many others in between. I guess if there's a golden thread that's the epiphany, the, the aha that sits beneath, it's people are remarkable. They, you know, you really can do anything if you set your mind to it. And I'm constantly amazed and surprised, as are my guests, about human capacity for physical adventure or um, endurance, for mental endurance in, in the tough times, uh, for uh, creative might and entrepreneurial talent. Mm. And and in terms of yourself, Craig, is there is there anything you've noticed you've had, you know, places where you've had to grow or mistakes you've made that you've learned from along the way as, as a host? Well, certainly I don't think this is a six hour podcast, so I won't have time to go through all of the uh, all of the mistakes. There are many <laughs> and they accumulate every day. Um, I, I think that I think the best probably, you know, as, as you mature, you realize that mistakes are golden. And
you know, if you're not prepared to fail, you never do a bit lower. So uh, my attitude is to uh, try stuff, uh, be absolutely prepared to fail at it, and 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 embrace and nurture those failures because um, their accumulation is what amounts to experience at the end of the day. And so long as you learn from them, uh, you're always moving forward. Right. And and where are you? Are you? And are you sensing that there's so that this theme of let's find inspiring stories from ordinary people who maybe aren't on the front of the Daily Mail. Are you, are you sensing that that's going to be the, the continuing theme or is it evolving? Yeah, well, I, I think so. I think it's really important. It's a really good question, actually, Richard. I think it's super important to evolve. So actually, I've been reflecting. I've, I'm about more or less a year into my podcast. I think I've got about 60 videos, um, interviews up on the channel, uh, or piece content. And the formula has, has been refined over that time in terms of length, in terms of approach, in terms of intro, in terms of equipment. Uh, but I'm, I'm all for one, even, even if I think it's working, I think it's important to continue to change the game. So watch this space. I, th- I think, uh, you know, I think I'd like to experiment with different things. And, you know, YouTube's a wonderful thing. You soon find out from the audience what works and what doesn't. Right. And, and are you sticking with the phone? Is it going to remain a phone only? Good question. I think so. I mean, it works well. Uh, it's, I'm never limited by memory because it just goes into Google Photos and there's sort of unlimited storage on my phone. So uh, it sits in the cloud. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why not. I, the thing I do see evolving is probably the quality of the microphone. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, well, I guess that's the thing with phones, right? You can, you can plug so much into them now. Um, that's right. You're really just yeah. using it for the camera in some ways, aren't you? So. Exactly. Yeah, no, that's right. So that's coffee, eggs, and inspiration. The next sideline is um, is big community records. So, so tell us how you also became a music empresario. I don't know about empresario, but that's very kind of you to say. So I I kind of fell into that accidentally. It wasn't. I didn't set out to found a a record label. After the referendum in 2016, I saw a face of Britain that I didn't recognize and didn't fully understand. Uh, what I noticed, and I'm not talking about the politics of Brexit, whether you're a Remainer uh, or, a, or a Lever, I don't really care. Um, what I did notice is symptoms of a polarization in our society that there's a, a, a privileged few who are beneficiaries of modernity, you know, of digital technology, of business, of the education they've been lucky enough to have in this country. But there's a big section of society who kind of feel marginalised, left behind, pissed off. And uh, that, to me, was disturbing, and I wanted to do something personally about it, uh, not just through, through my company, but personally, because uh, I think, you know, it's up to us. It starts with us. 
And as a leader in a technology platform, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty isolated country, tree internet. So everything that's happening today that, that we take for granted is like magic still for me. Right? If you've got a smartphone and idea, you can be a creator. You can start a micro multinational business. Yet it doesn't seem to be getting through to everyone. Um, opportunity uh, is unevenly spread, it would say. So I started working with a couple of young men from um, poor communities, from the so-called ends of London, one from East London, one from South London. And I took them on in a way as a mentor. I mean, they saw me as a mentor and I was helping them as much as I could with their life's journey. But I was also learning from them what life was really like growing up in a broken family, in a violent neighbourhood, Uh, with an absence of role model um, and trying to get my head around that because that's not my experience. You know, I, I, I've been very lucky in my life. And one in particular, Kwasi Kort, he grew up with his bravery and his intellect and his creativity. He's a rapper and he, like many in his situation, fell into a pretty nefarious lifestyle. Because to do music, right, if you want to be a rapper and, and, and put out music, you need time and you need money. Uh, and if you've grown up in that sort of community, there are not many obvious options for that. So he fell into, um, you know, the so-called trap life. And, you know, that served, superficially served the purpose. He was earning some money um, and, and it bought him the time. But he had a wake-up call about three years ago when his friend and business partner was shot in the head and killed. And his cousin, around the same time, was stabbed. He was 15, his cousin, and fortunately survived, but had a pretty hot head and went and stabbed the person back and killed them and got 18 years in jail. And the combination of those two events for Quasi um, were, were the sort of the epiphany, his wake up call that he needed. And he sort of said to himself, I'm going to do music, but I'm not going to do it like this. This is not my narrative, which I felt was a hugely brave thing to do. So he, he went from what he was doing, um, to moving back with his mum, uh, doing a little bit of freelance work here and there, maybe earning 50 quid a week and grinding away. And, that's the point that I met him, and I, I just felt he, he's, he's a very open guy. He's a great learner. He's a great listener. He's he well, and how, how, and how did you meet him? I mean, yeah. How, how we met through a mutual friend. So I worked with another young man called um, Joe Binder, who's got a very different story. He's a Cambridge graduate, grew up in North London. And um, Joe was a YouTuber when he was at Cambridge. He had a lifestyle blog and has subsequently founded his own um, personal branding company. And Joe and Quasi met in Soho one day. Quasi was filming. Joe recognised that this guy looks like a YouTuber. Both of them pretty open-minded chaps. Um, so the young white boy from North London walked up to the young black boy from uh, from Mitcham, and they started chatting uh, from very different. And, and, and this is the, the wonderful collision of worlds that I think is possible, right, when you're open-minded enough uh, to um, uh, to uh, embrace the unknown. And, and 
So Quasi is that sort of person, and Joe connected me with Quasi. And um, I, I just felt moved by his story. I thought, this is a guy who's got lots of talent. He's smart. He's taken some brave choices um, that aren't the easy road. And I invest in businesses. Why don't I think of this, uh, this guy as a business and invest in him? So I literally Googled how to start a record label because I didn't know. And I found this uh, company called Ditto, Liverpool-based company, great company. They're a music distributor. But when they were setting up that company, they, um, the founders understood, God, this is a labyrinth. This is so difficult. So they produced this record label in the box product, which I said, well, okay, I'll have one of them. And set up the company, funded it myself, and I signed Quasi as the inaugural artist for Big Community Records. And we set out on a mission to release his uh, first album in the style of Grime Rock. So another collision. Grime words. Rock, right. Grime Rock. And that album, Blood on the English Carpet, came out in July 2020. Right. And how's it doing, right? It's doing great. You know, it's picking up a lot of interest uh, on all of the digital streaming platforms. He's been offered a performance slot at Isle of Wight uh, and Strawberries and Cream Festival. That was supposed to be this year. It's now going to be next year, of course. Two weeks ago, we're filming this on the 10th of September. Uh, he performed, quasi performed live at Notting Hill Carnival, which this year, for the first time in 54 years, was globally live streamed. Right. Uh, we did a, an event uh, earlier this week with Lord Sugar and Karina Lepore, who was 2019's BBC. Apprentice winner. Um, so we're doing all kinds of news on the music videos. So it's doing a form of creativity is um, is not an easy game. You know, it's relatively easy to reach people because of the digital platforms that now operate. You know, you can reach a, a big audience on Spotify, for example, or on YouTube. Um, but getting noticed is really hard. It's a very noisy place. So uh, it's a matter of sort of building a distinct uh, persona and brand, really. And, and Kwasi's got a wonderful story. So really we're in that phase of getting his story out there, ensuring that his audience get to know the guy, because I think life story. It's a noisy place, getting attention. It's a noisy place, yeah. So we're in a, an attention economy. We're all hit with more information in a day than our medieval ancestors received in a year. Uh, so... Breaking through is, is, is tough, even if you can be the best artist in the world. But um, you've got to, you know, that the art itself is necessary but insufficient. You've got to build an audience. You've got to build a story. You've got to build a personality that, uh, that people are interested in and, and, and follow. Right. Right. And, uh, and how, how, how involved have you been in the creative process or have you been... Yeah, hands off. Well, happily not very. Um, that's not my skill set. So Cosy makes the creative calls. He, ob he obviously asked for input, um, but I think you've got to let artists be artists and business people be business people. Uh, and so that's really the division between us. Right. 
And are you looking to sign, you know, so you've got Quasi, have you got any other artists or what's the sort of roster looking like? Are you looking to grow it? What's the plan? I've been very intentionally focused fully on Quasi um, up until the album launch and, and obviously subsequent to that as well. But I wanted to uh, not dilute my attention. It is a side business for me, so I've got limited time and I wanted to focus my energy and attention on the project that we set out to do. And now we're in the next phase. You know, I, that I set the company up as a, an enterprise with a social mission, which is to surface and celebrate creativity from lower socioeconomic areas and give them their stage to shine. So true to that mission, I'd like to build that to about three to five artists. I am in discussions with a second artist at the moment. I'm going to keep the pace manageable. Um, and already, you know, it's, it's easy like, um, like the movies. It's, you, you tend to focus on what you see in front of you. And in, in my case, it's, it's, uh, the artist. It's quasi. But to do an album is a big team. So there's a big team that sits behind, uh, the project that we've done. Um, and, and will continue to, to work and support any, any further artists. Sabisu Malanga is the creative director. He's done all of the videos. He's a refugee from Zimbabwe, grew up under Robert Mugabe, saved up, bought himself a computer, taught himself how to code and how to do special effects, and he was the creative director on the videos. Um, I've got Ben, who's doing PR. He was a sales guy at John Lewis uh, in furlough at the moment and, and handling our PR. Um, Zibamra, who's been my artist liaison person. Uh, Jada Bruni, who is the album artist, so the person who's done the artwork for the album. She's a young graphic artist from Croydon, um, amazingly talented, sort of cartoon-like uh, quality to her art. Wow. So you've uh... um, And although the, this one, and uh, they are, you know, it's 100% black and minority ethnic, that wasn't what it uh, happens to be what we've what we've lamped on. And all of them have one thing in common. They're creative, they're brilliant, um, but they're all from backgrounds that um, that have lacked the opportunity that perhaps I've enjoyed. Right. And I remember a while back there was a study, wasn't there, of um, you know, the top ten artists and, you know, some alarming proportion of them were not just middle class, I think, but but sort of privately educated, right? Uh, so and that has been a shift. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting you say that. If, if, if by artists we're talking about musicians, yeah, the most popular British UK uh, YouTube channel is GRM Daily, Grime Daily, as it was called. And if you look at the, the music scene in the UK today, grime, drill, and various other subgenres of rap are, are the biggest genres, and that is absolutely dominated by um, uh, you know, black and minority ethnic um, Britons. So um, the interesting the interesting feature, however, is that so many of them um, create art in, in an autobiographical way. It's a it, it's a form of poetry and storytelling about um, their experience growing up in urban Britain, mostly. And it's um it's a great way of expressing it, and it's a great way of getting attention from 
those of us who didn't get that have that experience. But I think it is um, there's definitely more that needs to be done. If you look at you know BBC and the um, broadcasters, there's a huge effort um, and acknowledgement that um, black and minority ethnic um, presence is not where it ought to be. It's not you know when you look at the television screen, unlike perhaps YouTube or other platforms like that, you don't see a reflection of modern Britain. And that's something that needs to change. Right. Um, yeah. And you found a, a way to further that, further that purpose in, in music. Well, in, in a small way. But as I said earlier, I think it starts with us and, um, you know, and it's up to me. So that's, that's my effort. Yeah. And, and that really brings me to my, my next question is, is around your capacity to do this. So you, you've got, you know, you've, you've got Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration, you've got Big Community Records, you're also the Director of Strategy and Operations uh, within uh, Google UK. And how is this about you and your superlative time management skills? Or is this about the culture within Google that allows you to operate in this way i don't think there's anything special about me as an individual perhaps other than the choices you know the choices that i make are perhaps a little bit different um but i don't you know i certainly wouldn't put myself on the pedestal as as being um you know uh as as having a higher capability than uh, than anyone else i think it's got a lot to do with the culture at google we're all encouraged to pursue passions uh, there's this notion of 20% time that's often talked about. Um, and, and the spirit of 20% time is that you should uh, feel free to pursue things that you're really interested in. And they don't necessarily need to be directly connected uh, to the work. And uh, the environment there is flexible enough to allow that, both from a time perspective um, and a, you know, uh, I, I guess an inspiration perspective so i have a few side interests this is one of them and um it's great fun and uh, i've got a very good team at google i've got a fantastic family uh, a very supportive wife uh, and kids and um you know i uh, try to be pretty strict about boxing my time and allocating it to the main thing, which is my day job at Google, but also uh, making the time outside of that for um, big community records and some of the investments and uh, the YouTube channel. Right. And and taking you know, and, and taking your point about the the environment within within Google that uh, allows for this. Um. Just within your own, uh, you know, your own experience of managing. Uh, your life in this way is are there any sort of habits or practices you've picked up um that have allowed you to box your time in this way and to to have these passions expressed uh yeah so in terms of organization i, I find it uh, find it um important to uh batch process let's say so let's take email for example we all get an unhealthy amount of email um and it's, um, I think, the bane of many professionals' lives. I don't look at email uh, other than two times a day, once in the morning and once in the afternoon. Otherwise, you can just it just bleeds away, and it distracts you as well. Uh, there's a lot of science around 
uh, the need to have deep work time. You know, Bruce Daisley, ex-Twitter. Uh, former guest on this uh, podcast, no less. Former guest on the podcast. Well, he's a great guy, you know, and, and he's got some really interesting observations and he's very well studied in the area. But some of the, you know, some of the evidence that Bruce talks about is, is the fact that you knew, you, you know, to, to do deep work, you need to be heads down. You need to kind of have the cans on and not be distracted. And the switching costs, if you're constantly getting pinged or interrupted by email, is um, are, are very high. You know, you don't get back to it really back in the zone, as it were, for another sort of 20 to 30 minutes. So it's important to batch things. Um, I think it's important to set boundaries around work uh, and around non-work. So I never work in the weekend. And uh, at the end of the day, uh, the... Um, the email goes down and I don't respond. I put an out of the office message uh, on both during the weekends and during my holidays. I will not respond to email. It's 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 a it's a it's a monster that you feed, right? As as long as you're sort of making yourself available, even if you're on holiday, um, it's a gift that keeps on giving. So if you just shut that off, it's remarkable what happens. Uh, you just get left alone because People work out there's no point in contacting you. Uh, so I think that's important. I think it's important to make time for the little pleasures and, and passions that you have outside work. You know, for me, we've talked about some of them, but, you know, it might be sport or exercise or um, cooking or whatever it is, um, sort of being intentional about that so, so that you're living your life. Your life is not living you. And have you found when you put these boundaries in that there have been, you know, relationships you've had to manage with other other people within Google? Because I can imagine people listening to that and thinking, well, okay, that sounds fine in theory, but what about the reality of you know, having a boss who's upset that you haven't responded on holiday? Or, you know, have you found yourself having to to manage relationships to make it work? I think the short answer is no. Not, not, at, not at Google. I think we share a common uh, culture, and this is a, a big part of it. I, th I think allowing work to bleed into personal time is a corporate choice. It's not a corporate necessity. And I've worked in companies where uh, both states have been true. Um, I've, I had a long period at Accenture. I loved the, loved the company, had a great experience there, got some great friends there who I'm still in touch with, but it's one of those companies who made the opposite choice. It's more of a sort of always-on culture, and I think that's a corporate choice. Interesting. Yeah. And and did you find in that environment that you – so you couldn't set boundaries in the same way with an Accenture, or or, or were you still able to manage your, you know, manage your boundaries? It was very difficult to set boundaries, or comparatively difficult to set boundaries. In hindsight, I should have been stronger at doing that. But there were many holidays that were interrupted, vacations that I needed to return early from, uh, approvals that I needed to jump off whatever I was doing and on vacation and uh, attend to. And, um, you know, I regret that. I, I think it's a, 
I think it's a poor indictment on a very traditional way of thinking in, in corporate culture uh, to allow that to happen. Employees are at their best when they're relaxed. Psychologically safe, energized, and rested things. You're dulling down uh, the talent that you've hired. Right. Yes. And um, in fact, I was just referring to pro- to Google's Project Aristotle yesterday with some some clients, and you know that that was the the research project that Google did on you know team productivity and psychological safety came out as the number one factor. Right. Yeah, a super important, right? Psychological safety. I mean, it's it's one of those words that's bandied around, um, but I think it's the it's the secret source to innovation. Uh, you know, Google and other others in the uh, technology world are in a very fast moving environment, and innovation is the lifeblood of the company. And, and history is full of the stories of, of companies who were really on top of their game and, and now no longer exist. And the half-life of companies is getting shorter and shorter. So it's clear innovation in a fast-moving uh, world is absolutely mission critical. And if you want to innovate, you need to create an environment in which risk-taking is encouraged, in which people feel that they can be their full selves and you know roll the dice and know that their colleagues are going to be by their side and pull them up by the arms when they fall over um, rather than kick them uh, and punish them. Now, it's important not to um, continue to make the same mistakes, right? You, you've, got to, you've got to build learning into that environment. But as Sir Ken Robinson famously said, if you're not prepared to fail, you'll never come up with anything original. So psychological safety is a necessary condition for creating that state, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. And just to to give people an illustration of that, you know, can can you think of an incident that that demonstrates that that culture? Perhaps when you shifted from you know Accenture Saint or first into that Google environment, you know, what was it stru- that struck you that was different? Is there anything that comes to mind that illustrates this? Well, apart from the sort of obvious and superficial things like dogs in the office and hammocks and free food and, and, and that sort of thing, um, I, I think all of those are the outer clothing of something that lies very deeply within, which is a culture and a spirit of innovation where you treat serious things playfully and playful things seriously. And um, probably the best example, I'll give you one that your listeners might recognise, is uh, Google Glass. You remember Google Glass? Mm. Yeah, these these little frames that sat on the uh, the nose and and um, ears like normal glasses, but they had a little prism and and you could see a, a digital image. Um, yeah. and I have to say, what I do remember from that is people getting the, the viral videos of people getting accosted in McDonald's or. Well, that's right. Or... So, and, and this is. The, this is exactly leading leading to the point of the story, right? Um, the technology was brilliant, but the form factor was horribly misjudged. Uh, we didn't get the social engineering right. You know, we got the technical engineering right. In fact, the people who wore these glasses in Silicon Valley became known as glass holes, <laughs> right? Which kind of uh, nicely sums up the 
um, the mistake and the error. Uh, so that's a, you know, at, at Google, and I think, um, you know, I try to do this in my own personal life as well. We celebrate our failures. You know, we embrace them because they're golden learning opportunities. And uh, although Google Glass is no, no longer a consumer product, it's proved to be a very interesting and uh, useful industrial product where engineers are using it for, um, you know, uh, consulting instructions as they're changing telecom switchgear and inspecting oil pipelines. And a lot of the artificial reality uh, or augmented reality uh, technology inside it is is in other products that are very successful. So there are nuggets, you know, in every failure, there are nuggets of learning and um, harvestable blocks that often become part of very successful products. Right, right. Now, my other question and as an interest here is, these are some of the aspects that the Google's become famous for in terms of its culture. Now, in, in your role, what are you seeing emerging in terms of new threads of of changes within the Google culture that that you can identify? Well, I think like any other, you know, Google's a normal company at the end of the day, um, in the sense that it's a collective of people um, working through the intervention of a global pandemic so and, and that i think we've all had to adjust to that to to adjust to the the routine of of having a home office of of being on video calls um of coping with the absence of human contact in a, in a face-to-face sense mostly at work um and when you when you take away those sort of casual collisions that occur in office spaces, um, it, it does change uh, the working environment. So I think, you know, Google, like all other companies, is learning how to adjust to that new normal and um, keep the, you know, keep the culture alive in different ways. Um, so probably like a lot of companies, you know, we're we're doing sort of different different ways of getting together socially there's uh, virtual wine tasting and pub quizzes and uh, this sort of thing that, that lends itself to a, a video format a video conference format uh, we've had speaker series you know we recently had Neil Malarkey a famous British comedian come along and uh, do some talks uh, on how to make um, video conferences fun and uh, how to use techniques of improvisation comedy uh, in serious work, um, and these are things that probably wouldn't have happened outside the the current context of the work from home um, routine. Um, and I suppose you could describe those as as cultural shifts. Uh, I think it's it, it's also an interesting environment to um, to be in from a competitive point of view. It's a pretty hot market out there, and um, you know we're very humble uh, about what we do as a business and uh, and we feel very viscerally that the need to continue innovating and, and delivering value uh, to customers and and building trust uh, in our products you know that's really the lifeblood of the company and it's uh, as important or more important today than it's ever been um, and um, and I think the you know the uh, 
geopolitical context that we all operate in is evolving as well. And that's, um, that's not just a Google thing. That's, that's true of all of us. You know, we're going through an interesting period with Brexit, uh, in the, in the UK. Let's see if the, the, the trade deals that are being negotiated come through in the way that we'd, we'd hope. But I think, you know, I'm a, I'm an optimist on all of that. I think we live in a, a an amazing country. It's my adopted country. Uh, with a long history of creative brilliance, of entrepreneurial brilliance, of invention, of entrepreneurship. And whilst it's easy to look at the gloom uh, in the current context, it's uh, more important, I think, to uh, see the opportunity that lies ahead to establish ourselves as the most important technology hub and startup hub outside Silicon Valley. Uh, to celebrate the biotechnology and medical technology engineering that's going going on in the, the strip between the Francis Crick Institute and King's Cross and the Cambridge and Oxford corridor, uh, to celebrate British creativity. You know, that we punch well above our weight in music and film and uh, original content. Um, so, you know, these are all remarkable things. Um, uh, that, that are true of our island and, uh, and wonderful things that we must embrace and celebrate culturally in companies and personally. Right. And I think it's interesting how you've answered that, that question. You know, you've broadened it from a question of the, the Google culture to, you know, considering what's great about the wider culture in which we, we operate. And I think that's probably quite an important thing for us to yeah, consider you know, what can we celebrate in terms of the wider society we're a part of and not just what we can make possible within our company because of the company, of course, exists within a society. Well, Google's nothing more than a derivative business, right? Um, you know, we, we exist because users find our products useful and small businesses, you know, 60% of businesses in the UK are small and medium enterprises. Sorry, not... Uh, no, it's more like 90%. There are 6 million small and medium uh, businesses in the UK. Uh, right. And they employ 60% of the population. And um, they're able to start and reach their customers, particularly now, largely through digital means, many of them free to use. Um, so we very much feel part of the fabric of of the country, of the economy, and and we wear that we wear that burden very uh, seriously. Right. Yeah. No. And and I think it's uh, I think it's it's an important um, well, it's an important distinction, and I suppose it's it's reflected in all of your activities, right? You're you're active in in society, in it, in your communities, um, and. Uh, I think that's what I'm taking away from this conversation. Actually, one of the things I'm taking away from this conversation is, you know, to 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 think a bit more broadly than just you know your your organisational context. Well, we all live in a, an ecosystem, a society ecosystem, and a business ecosystem. So it's very, um, I think it's wrong to disconnect yourself from that. Okay. Well, talking about time boxing, Craig, <laughs> I know I have you till uh, to the top of the hour here. So um, I will thank you very much. In terms of people finding, uh, well, 
clearly people know how to find Google, uh, but finding big community records, uh, coffee, eggs, and inspiration, where, where should people go? I, well, you can link it below um, in, in the uh, description, but it's bigcommunityrecords.com. Uh, and uh, the, uh, the podcast is Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a fairly unique name, so you'll only get me if you search that on, on YouTube. Um, and it's also available as a podcast over, uh, over all of the major channels, whatever you use, Spotify, uh, Apple Music or whatever. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Craig. Uh, great conversation. Uh, yeah, wonderful co to connect. My pleasure, Richard. And uh, yeah, look, look forward to getting this out here. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day, Craig. Thank you. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for having right. me. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.